delight to be with you. It was an honor to be with your, your leadership team yesterday, getting to know folks. And we thank you for the, uh, the generous hospitality you've already shown us, uh, the kindness. It's uh, truly encouraging. We've been anticipating this day for quite some time. We started having this conversation several months ago, right? And so this is not something that's been put together without uh, a whole lot of prayer and, and thoughtfulness. We thank you for keeping in touch with the Masters Academy International, our, our, our guys out there in Los Angeles Raise your hand, uh, with the exception of the elders and, and the deacons and those who were with us last night. Raise your hand if, if you have ever heard of the Masters Academy International. So there's a few. Okay, elders and deacons, have you heard of? Okay. Raise your hand if you can fill 30 seconds of time uh, and tell us everything you know about TMAI. Okay. So why do I ask that question? Well, I ask that question because... Oh, about four years ago, maybe three years ago, uh, Pastor John MacArthur was in our staff meeting, and he made a statement that just didn't sit well with me. You don't say that about John MacArthur too much. But it didn't sit well with me, so he said, uh, he says, the Master's Academy International is the world's best-kept secret in global missions. And immediately I said, yes, Pastor John, but we're here to change that. We're here to change that. So that's kind of why they brought me on board nearly six years ago was to help communicate what we do, because we're not in the U.S. We are all over the world. Thankfully, the Lord has us firmly planted in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I do a fair amount of traveling along with my dear wife, Debbie. We, we love to talk about the Masters Academy International because we love to talk about the Lord. And not only that, we love to talk about what Scripture says about the Great Commission. So, in a way that I can go back to Pastor John and say more people know about us, uh, the way we do that is we give you something for free, you see. If, if we give it for free, then, then you can know more about us beyond just what you're going to hear from this pulpit. So hopefully you've received this card, and on there is a QR code. Don't worry, older folks. If you're not sure what a QR code is or how to use it, ask your three-year-old granddaughter. She'll help you. It's pretty clear to them. They can show you. So what we want to do is we want to give you a copy of what we call Declaring His Glory Among the Nations. And it is a, uh, it's a devotional book that on each individual page of the book, you'll get to read a one-day devotional from 200 of our 7,000, 7,200 graduates around the world. And what's fascinating about that is you're going to see consistency in the way that they deal with the text because they're taught to do expository preaching like your pastor does here. So it doesn't matter where you read. They're from Africa. They're from Europe. They're from Asia. They're from all over the world. You're going to see distinctiveness in the way that they teach, but you're also going to see consistency in the way that Scripture is approached. Uh, just like your pastor wants to declare to you the original author's intent of a particular passage of Scripture, you will see that in every one of these writings, I promise you. So get your hands on one of those. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know, sweeten the deal. All right, so we're going to give more things away. <laughs> We're going to give away um, one person, not everybody gets one, one person will, uh, you don't use win in a Christian setting, so one person will be providentially chosen. <laughs> You're not providentially chosen if you don't have your granddaughter help you figure out how to use a QR code. So we're going to give one of these away. This is Essential Doctrine. It's, uh, it's a smaller version of the big, thick, biblical doctrine book that we, MacArthur and Mayhew, put together. So you can enjoy that. The other one I'm going to give away is one of my favorite works is The Gospel According to God. Have you ever seen this? This is MacArthur's work on Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. If, if you don't win the book, order it, or better yet, there's a free way to do this. You can go to his sermons that he preached on Isaiah at gty.org, and you can listen to those sermons. It's absolutely astounding. So we're gonna, I'm going to give these to you, Pastor, and then you'll... I'm going to loan these to you, Pastor, and then you'll give it to those who are providentially chosen to receive them, whoever that might be. So, uh, do I have my slide? Yes, I do. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28? We could as easily have gone to Psalm 67 to a Great Commission passage. We could have gone to Genesis 3.15 to a Great Commission passage. 
We could have gone to several of them, but you know what? We're going to go with that one that's most familiar. And Aaron, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders this morning. I realize that. So you're going to have to help me and kind of click through these slides. We'll go to that. There we are. We are in Matthew chapter 28. And I just want to ask you a question. Well, let me read the text first, and I'll ask you a question. This is God's Word. And I'm, if, if you'll just bear with me, I'm reading from the New Legacy Standard Bible. I hope that's all right. It's the newest edition of the NASB. New American Standard. So it reads like this. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, you see it there? Some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That word nations there, the word nations, which is what we get from the Greek word ethnos or ethnicities, right? Go to all the ethnicities of the world. That's stunning. There's 11 guys. He's talking to 11 guys. Now, there's an argument, and my pastor, Tom Pennington, makes that argument, and I think it's a good one, that out of 1 Corinthians 15, there's probably the 500 disciples that are probably there during the Great Commission. But you know what? Yes, they're hearing it, but Jesus is telling 11 guys to go to all the ethnicities of the world. If you're one of those 11, just imagine... You could be one of those 11. You're standing by the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, I want you to go to all the ethnicities of the world. I want you to teach them to keep all that I commanded you. And you're one of those 11. You're going, okay, so, you know, Lord, who's going to Goldsboro? Right? Goldsboro wouldn't even heard of back then, but somebody has to go to Goldsboro, one of those 11, because he's given them the Great Commission. Somebody has to go to Perth, Australia. One of those 11 has to go to South Africa. Another has to go to Argentina. Another has to make their way to Norway. Who, how does 11 people do this? And what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to teach. They're supposed to teach them everything that Jesus ever taught them, in essence. You know what? Missions, missions is not easy, but it is simple. You think about that? Missions isn't easy. These 11 guys had to circumnavigate the globe and tell everybody everything that Jesus ever taught them and tell them to do those things, to observe them. They were supposed to teach. They were supposed to make disciples. They were supposed to tell them to keep. The Greek word there is tereo, to observe, to keep, to watch over, to guard to really hold uh, to their hearts, to reserve it, to observe and to pay full attention to everything that Jesus ever said. And if you're one of the 11, you're saying, Jesus, that's a very tall order. And it is a tall order. But I want you to notice something here. Go back one. We got from the 11 disciples, how do we get 3,511? Well, we fast forward a little bit to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And you've got to imagine that the disciples are looking around them going, oh, we got help from the 500, now how are we going to improve this? So we get to Acts 2, and Peter preaches an amazing sermon. And who's the audience? Do you remember some of the audience that's pointed out in that sermon? Those who killed Jesus were there. And as if to implicate them with the finger pointing in their chest, he says in Acts chapter 2, you're the ones that killed him. And there was immediate guilt. There was immediate sense of a need to understand, now what do we do, right? And so that was the question, well, okay, now what do we do? Do you remember Peter's answer? Repent and be baptized. Repent, that's to confess what you've done, repent admit that what you've done was a sin and it was a violation against God, against his anointed one, and be baptized. That is, turn your life over to the management of your Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that you killed, 
And that day, they were convicted of their sin. And how many were added to the church? Pastor, help me out here. Yeah, 3,000 people. Now, we could go into Acts 7, we could look at other places, Acts 6, and we could look at all over the New Testament. People are being added to the church. All of a sudden, these 11 guys who received this great commission are looking around. They go, we got some help. One of these days, Goldsboro is going to be reached with the gospel because the church is growing. It's getting bigger. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to go into church history here. And I wish I could cover all of church history, but I can't. So let's talk about this guy, Polycarp. Who's ever heard of him? Polycarp. Probably the pastor of the church of Ephesus, probably discipled by the apostle John, right? So he lives his life. He serves the Lord. He was martyred. And he was told at one point to recant of his teachings. What did he say? For 86 years, I've served the Lord, and he has never done me wrong. And they killed him. And the church grew. They killed Stephen, right? Acts chapter 7. And the church grew. God convicted Saul's heart, his life. He became not just a killer of Christians, but one of the foremost evangelists the world has ever seen. And the church grows. What else do we see here? 200 years later, church growth happens with much persecution. We get to the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, right? Athanasius, an African theologian, is at this council, and he's the guy that says that Jesus is God. You know what they said to him? The world against Athanasius. Athanasius shot right back, Athanasius against the world. And the church continues to grow. And we understand, as we read our texts of Scripture, that Jesus is indeed God, and the church continues to take off. People are baptized. People are repenting. People are observing everything that Jesus ever said. Then we get to the Reformers, right? Anybody know some Reformers? You've heard of these Reformers, right? So the Reformation has been going on ever since Jesus uh, commissioned the disciples. But really, the Reformation, that we would make the best sense out of it, is you know Wycliffe back in the 1200s. He puts God's word into the modern language. Uh, then we fast forward with, with Wycliffe. What happened to him? He was torched. Is it safe to be a Christian? No. We stop there? No. We keep going. A hundred years later, they dig up his bones and torch it some more. So we make our way through the, the reformers. We get up to, you know, guys like Tyndale, who print the Bible in, in English, but he has to do it in Germany. And you get businessmen that look at what he's doing. They say, well, how are you going to get those Bibles back to England? Well, a guy that owns the supply chain puts them on his boats, and they bring them back into England, and they distribute them. They're a part of this missions supply chain, and the church grows. Luther pops up. Luther, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Calvin, the church is growing through the 1500s and the 1600s, and we keep getting bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, Goldsboro's not that hard to reach. So we go to the next slide. Church history is behind us. Those generations are gone, and now it's your turn. Now, let me, let me make that more clear. It's our turn. Because the 11 disciples, it was a group of guys. They worked together. The churches worked together. It's not one individual that makes this happen. Yes, I say it's your turn, but you work on a team. You work as a church here at Crossway Church. How does this church reach Africa? How does this church reach Asia? How do they do that? Because the 11 disciples couldn't do it. You can't do it either. But what is your role individually and as a congregation, that's why this is so important. It's your turn, but you take the why off. It's our turn. Next slide. Okay, so we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? How does it, how does it work? Look back at Matthew 28. This is what I mean by the Great Commission being, or missions, is not easy, but it's simple. Here's the simple part. What are you supposed to do? We're supposed to go to the ethnicities of the world and baptize them. 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're to teach them to keep, to do, to observe all that Jesus commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. The action there is not go into all the world. The action is make disciples. A made disciple is those who have turned to Christ, they've trusted him, they've, they've given an outward profession of an inward change, they're baptized, in other words, telling the world, I'm under new management. And my goal is to do all that Jesus ever commanded. That's, that's the simplicity of disciple-making. All the rest of it is garnishment. Sometimes it's a lot of noise. So when I start asking the question, what do we mean by making disciples in particular countries, I want you thinking about this text. Just give me advance notice of the exam that we're having throughout this whole thing. I want everybody to pass. So, so we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to teach them to observe. Uh, you'll remember Acts 20, 27. Paul is with the elders of the church of Ephesus. And in that whole context there, he's meeting with these elders, and he says to them, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. As he's on his way to Jerusalem which ultimately he's going to get arrested and he's going to be thrown in jail. Right? So he's telling them, I want you to remember that I told you everything that was profitable. I want you to know that what I told you was to observe everything that Jesus ever taught because that's disciple making. Okay? Then we're going to, we're going to teach them, we're going to repl replicate them to entrust God's word to faithful men who will be able to turn around and do the same thing with others, who will be able to do the same thing to others. And so there you can see I've combined 2 Timothy 2.2 with 2 Timothy 2.15. So it's supposed to teach others. This is how the Great Commission works. Jesus is with us till the end of the age because we continue to teach the next generation to reach their own people, their own contemporaries. And that may be here in Goldsboro and it may be on the other side of the planet. But the, the gist of it is to teach them to observe everything that Jesus ever taught. So that brings us to the next slide, and we have to ask the question, well, what did he tell his disciples to do? What are they supposed to observe? So he says right there in Mark, you must follow me. These are exclamation points, right? Imperatives. You must do this. You must follow me. You must repent. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus, when he began his ministry, when he began his ministry, it says right there that he began to preach to preach repentance. And if you're a fan of the Greek language, it's a present imperative. In other words, you must repent, and you must continue teaching repentance. That's what he did. So, you must believe in me, John 6, John 14, 1. You know these passages. And then, of course, the Great Commission. You can go into all the world and preach the gospel. And all of those are exclamation points. They are imperatives. You must do these things, Jesus said. So since I can't bring the world here with me, I can't bring professors and students from around the world to be here with you in person, I want to bring them in a little form of, just a couple of minutes worth of videos. And I want to introduce to you a man named Sammy Laballo. Those of you who are my age, you would remember the older days of apartheid in South Africa. You might remember a little township called Soweto. Raise your hand if you remember that town, Soweto. Soweto was the place in the Johannesburg area of South Africa where if, if you were a black person, that's where you were banished to. And the only way you could get out of that area was a letter from a white person saying that you worked for them. Well, so how do you reach Soweto, South Africa, with the gospel? How do you make disciples out of a place like that that has been banished away from others? They're not going to hear the gospel. How do you reach them? You train up guys like Samuel Labalo. Samuel Labalo preaches in English, he preaches in Zulu, and he preaches in Sutu. And he's a trained expositor like your pastor. When I showed up and he didn't know I was coming, they were supposed to tell him. I sat in the back of the room, and, and I love this. I wish you could be there. When they did the, the, the hymns, they did them in English, and they did them in Zulu, and they did them in Sutu. You would know the hymns. Now, we couldn't sing in those languages, but we could sing in English. He takes the pulpit, much like this one, and he says, turn with me. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 
And he preached that message as though, um, as though he, I mean, he was the only guy in that area that could reach the, the people in that neighborhood. Out of two and a half million people in Soweto Township, he's the only expositor. And after he began to train the people, after about nine months, there was some jealousy going on in the neighborhood. And the old church tried to come in and kick him out. And the people said, no, we've been taught the Bible. He's our pastor. We're not leaving. I tell you what, if I lived in Soweto, he would be my pastor. I want you to meet Samuel Labalo. Thank you, Aaron. Samuel Labalo. I'm a pastor at Malazani Baptist Church. We are um, a church of about... 45 um, adults and 15 children. The reason I went to Christ Seminary was that um, I desired to be um, thoroughly equipped to handle the Word of God, that I may be able to um, serve in the local church, especially in my mind was um, more in a township setting. Um, Christ Seminary was recommended to me by Joseph Matlala. He was our pastor by then and a student at Christ Seminary, and he's currently a professor at Christ Seminary. So I admired how he handled the Word of God and how he risen from the Scriptures, and um, I was um, eager and have that desire to also uh, be able to share the Word of God in a way that it will glorify God. Um, before then, uh, well, I used to just um, preach um, out of my own head, like especially copying um, other sermons from um, guys like Kenneth Copeland and just saying things that were um, not scriptural, but say, like, I want people to hear um, what's in my mind, but then going to Christ Seminary was more um, to help me, um, not to say things that are in my mind, but um, to... Um, echo what is in the scriptures and that's what um, I've learned um, through my years at seminary how to handle the word of God and also appreciate um, the professors there um, how not only did they taught us how to handle the scriptures but mainly how to live um, a godly life so they model that and I remember Pastor Dave Bickley um, during our graduation he mentioned something to say um, we're not going to be perfect preachers we may still err in our preaching but what is important for us is to pursue holiness and um, that has been my desire that even though I will be struggling at times handling the passage of scripture but um, my love for God and um, my love for his people should continue to be a motivation of why I want to be diligent in handling the scriptures. So that's Sammy Labalo. He is a dear friend. Uh, Pastor, I gave you some um, booklets here. There's a story about him in that booklet that you can share. So that's Sammy from the Soweto Township. And I show you Sammy because he is a reflection of 7,200 other graduates. And he's a godly man, just a dear wife. We have had him uh, back in the U.S. a few times to um, just to serve with us over here. Uh, dear friend, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, because I just want to get the simplicity of the gospel clear once again. This is in a setting where, Je where, where Paul is addressing the Jewish people of the day who were embracing the law as a way of salvation. In other words, he was embrace, embrace, addressing those who thought that they had to be obedient in every way in order to be saved. Good works, kind of salvation. And he says this in verse 8. He says, but what does it say, meaning the scriptures? He, he says, go back and read your Old Testament. Go back and read the Hebrew scriptures. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Why didn't he say, if you obey these 600 plus laws faithfully every single day and make no mistakes, you'll be saved? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You cannot behave your way into heaven. It is God's work through his son on the cross, who lived the perfect life on your behalf, that you would take his righteousness and he would take your unrighteousness. And this is what he wants his readers to see. 
That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, leading to righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, leading to salvation. Yeah, but Paul, what about the Sabbath? What about, what about tithing? What about all the laws that they have, ceremonial laws, etc.? Verse 11. For the scripture says, and notice he's quoting from the Hebrew Bible, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever, that means everyone, who is calling on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 13, will be saved. I said earlier that missions is not easy. Right? But it is simple. But this is the simple gospel. It's not what we do, it's what he's done. It's our trust in his righteousness to take our unrighteousness upon himself. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Well, they're supposed to bail the law. That's how they're supposed to call on him, right? No, that's not what he says. How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? In other words, they need to hear the preaching, right? How would your church be if you didn't have a pastor expositing the word faithfully each and every week? Would you be a strong church or a weak church? Be a weak church. And how will they hear without a preacher? The Lord designed his church so that sound biblical preaching would expose his people to the word of God for a reason. Here it is. So that the saints, the believers and their churches, would do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. Right? Ephesians 4. That they would do the work of the ministry for how long? Remember chapter 28 of Matthew. Until the end of the age. Those 11 disciples are no longer uh, walking the planet with us. Uh, their Savior and our Savior is with us till the end of the age. We do what they were called to do, to faithfully evangelize and disciple the people of the world. Moms, do you understand how vital your role is as a mom in your own home? You have a precious place to evangelize and shepherd and disciple your own kids so that one day they will walk with the Lord. Dads, you have the same responsibilities, but mom, you're with them more hours of the day. You have a great responsibility. Verse 15. And how will they, meaning those preachers mentioned in verse 14, how will they preach unless they're sent? You see that? How will they preach unless they're sent? In other words, how is a church going to have a preacher if nobody sends that preacher to that church to preach? The book of 3 John is all about a guy named Gaius. Maybe you're familiar with it. He's a sender. Uh, he's probably a businessman. Maybe he's a farmer. He's not a preacher, but you know what? He takes care of the missionaries that come through his area. Sometime take a look at 3 John chapter one, because there's only one chapter in the entire book. It's the shortest book in the New Testament, but it's about a businessman. Verses 1 through 8, but especially 3 John 6. John instructs Gaius to, to send missionaries on their way in a manner worthy of God. You know what? If you're a sender and you say to yourself, well, how am I supposed to send this guy? It's not a tall order. It's in a manner worthy of God. It's a very tall order. In other words, send them in a way that God would send them. Wow, that's what Gaius did. Spend your time in first, excuse me, Third John, Third uh, John eight. I don't want you to miss Third John eight. John is clear. Senders are known as fellow workers with the truth. You say, were well, the missionaries the most important ones in the whole missionary effort? No. Those who send them are called fellow workers with the truth. It's as though they are in the trenches with them because they are. Now, their trench is the same trench, but it might be removed by several time zones. You get the meaning there. So yes, the fields are white for a harvest, but who's going to send them? Not the 11. We 
you, us, we're going to send them. Biblical preachers don't have deep pockets to support all the financial aspects of missionary work. They need fellow workers with the truth, fellow workers with the gospel, people like Gaius who say, I'll help you. I'll hold the other end of the rope, and I'm not letting go. We need them to pray. Are you praying for those on the other side of the world, up the street, the the church in the next town over there that's trying to keep their expository pastor in place? Are you praying for them? Could be the other side of the world. They cannot, these guys, these missionaries, they can't underwrite the pastoral training of their students that come through their schools. They need your help. They need you to help them, to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. That's why we look at Romans chapter 10. He says this in verse 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things. How are they going to proclaim good news of good things if somebody doesn't send Sammy into the Soweto Township to reach two and a half million people? They need help. Which brings me to our next slide. Well, don't, don't go there yet. I want you to meet Dr. Charlie Romfamedze. Dr. Romfamedze is important to TMAI. You see, at TMAI, typically what we do is we we train up through the Master Seminary guys that will go out into the world and lead, lead training centers. We don't want them to be American churches. We don't want them to be American seminaries. We want them to be biblical seminaries. We want guys in South Africa and in, well, that's where Charlie's from. We want guys like him that will lead their own people to understand how to get to the authorial intent of Scripture. Dr. Rob Fumedze has a doctorate in expository preaching And I want you to meet him because he's the leader of our school in South Africa. My name is Charlie Ramfumezi. I am the president of Christ Seminary Lugwane in South Africa. We are training shepherd expositors, a man who can lead the congregation and also who can take the Bible and do the thorough exposition of the Bible. Uh, Because we identify this great need in our villages and also in our township Uh, for the churches that are dying without the spiritual milk of the word. And I would need men who can exposit the scriptures and feed the congregation and also impact this village and the continent at large. Thank you. I love the phrase that he uses, we need shepherd expositors. I talked about this last night with your leadership team. What happens if you just have the shepherd, the really nice guy who gets along with everybody but can't really teach scripture? Oh my goodness, the church falls apart. But what happens if you have the guy that all he can do is teach but never meets with the people because he's busy studying and he doesn't know the flock? You've got an academician who doesn't love God's people. He says, we need shepherd expositors. Charlie leads a school where there are several men that come through that speak different languages. One thing common about most of them is that they speak English, but then they're going to go back into their townships, into their villages. They're going to speak several different African dialects. He reaches into Zimbabwe, which is a um, uh, a very war-torn country, a country of communism, very difficult, but he has students in Zimbabwe. I can't go to Zimbabwe and and teach pastors. But you know what? Charlie can. He's one of them. He's a godly man. And he has other godly men around him to help with that regard. One of the things that we're excited about at TMAI, again, I'll say this again, we're we're not teaching them how to do American church. So let me tell you about our school in Malawi. In Malawi, when we showed up there to train the pastors there, we quickly figured out that we needed to have their wives, their husbands and wives, into the house with their professors outside the classroom to disciple them, not just them, but their, the women, so that the, our professors' wives could help disciple their women. Because in, those, in that area, in that day, as much as it just shivers, makes us send shivers down our spines, it is acceptable to do wife beating. And so that is not acceptable biblically. But how do you teach that from the pulpit and just accept them to get it or expect them to get it? So they bring them into the house, and then, I love this, our professors 
are in the kitchen helping their wives cook the meal, and they're the ones that are cleaning the plates and the pots and the pans. And the students say, what is going on? And they say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, here's this passage. Scripture tells me I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church. And, and I just want you to see that I'm doing my best here. And all of a sudden, the wife beating goes away. Isn't that fabulous? Because they're with the people. They're shepherd expositors. They're teaching and they're modeling with their people. Next slide. Let's talk about our mission statement a little bit. This is important. So the Masters Academy International is committed to fulfilling the Great Commission. How? By training indigenous church leaders like Sammy to be approved pastor teachers able, that means capable, not willing, capable, uh, to equip their churches to make biblically sound disciples. That sounds like Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Ephesians 4, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So that is our mission statement. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for faithful men who will be able to replicate themselves. Next one. There we go. The priority of the gospel, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes priority. We're teaching them to preach authorial intent in their own languages, which is important. So that's why we need a good, strong theological education. The importance of integrity. We want them to know how to train up elders in their own church. We want Sammy training up fellow South Africans in his own church to be the elders there. And that's, in fact, what he has done. He's trained up the elders that help him shepherd that church. Let's go to the next one. Stewardship. If you think about <clears throat> sending seminary students to the U.S., to Southern Seminary, maybe out to Masters out in Southern California. On the cheap, if they live on the cheap, if they live in a bad neighborhood, scary neighborhood, and they've got to pay for their tuition, you're looking at about $60,000 a year. That's really on the cheap. Well, for that same 60, we can train, um, I think the number is 30? Yeah, I don't know if it's up there. We could train 30 people for that same 60 grand. That's just wide stewardship of money. And we keep them in their own context. They continue to shepherd in their own churches while they're getting their theological and expository preaching education. Next one. <clears throat> multiplication. Well, multiplication is important. We want them to, to multiply not only within their own church, but to multiply churches, church planting. So that's important. The body, in turn, will be uh, fully equipped to faithfully preach Christ to the surrounding community. And with now over 7,200 graduates, it just makes sense that we're not just in the locations, the 18 training centers that we have. We're in over 80 nations now training pastors to preach God's word. Next one. Impact. Indigenous church leaders are more effective at planting and shepherding their own churches than those who are from the outside. So if, if, if you or I want to go to Colombia or any other place in the world for that matter, uh, we might have to learn the language. Okay, you know the language, but what about the culture? It's a different culture. Uh, what about having to renew your visa and now having to renew your passports? And it's going to take you several years, maybe 20 years, to really understand the culture of the Czech Republic and their language. But what happens if we raise those people up and teach them to do what your pastor does here on a faithful uh, weekly, in-and-out basis, they reach their own people with the gospel. It's our ministry distinctive. Okay, next one. Presence. Our faculty live in the country where they minister, and that goes back to that idea of uh, Malawi, for example. How do you teach a people that their culture is violating God's word when you can't show them? That's why it's important to be there with them and to train up their own people, to disciple their own people. All right. Longevity. They're not subject to these visa issues like I talked about. Uh, they are in their own land. They're in their own country, reaching their own people. Again, so that's just another ministry distinctive we have. Uh, training distinctive. So we follow this historical grammatical hermeneutic. We're here to teach our students how to read the text on their own. We're, we're here to teach them how to understand the original authorial intent, whether it's in Greek or Hebrew, so they can give it to their own people so that they don't create a culture that is their culture. It's a biblical culture we're looking for. Let's go to the next one. All right, so i got a question for you. 
me paint a picture. Japan, severely unreached people group. It's a Western nation in the sense that their economy is built around the same kind of mindset, right? Uh, same kind of mindset, of economic kind of mindset that we have here. It's different there. Uh, those who come to work first are most respected. Those who leave last are most respected. So what does that mean? Everybody's going to arrive early. Everybody's going to go home late. And so what does that mean for the family? What does it mean for Sunday when somebody would normally go to church? It means they're exhausted and they don't want to go anywhere. How do you reach Japan with the gospel? If you're one of the 11 disciples and, and you were to say, well, you know, Japan, that's a tough place, Lord. How do we make disciples there? Well, how, how do you make disciples in Japan? Matthew 28. Baptize them. You teach them. Teach them what? To observe everything that Jesus ever taught. And guess what? He's with you always to the end of the age. I asked our president of our school in Japan, Daisuke Okada, six years ago. Daisuke, how many expository preachers do you have? Now, when I say expository preachers, I think of your pastor. How many, of, how many of those do you have in the whole country of Japan that you know of? He says, two. That's a big nation. So he started the school in Japan many years ago in Tokyo. And I met with him again this year. And I said, remember that question I asked you? He goes, yeah. How many do you have now? He goes, four. Because <laughs> they're training. And, and now what he would tell you is now they have 70 guys that will show up to a conference on expository preaching. And out of that conference will come the students that attend our school in Japan to become expository Bible teachers. That's Japan. So how will Central America trust Christ? I'm getting repetitive here. What's, what's the Great Commission? Baptize them. Teach them everything that I ever taught you. to Do it, to observe it, to keep it. Now you're going to meet Edwin Zayala. Edwin is one of our professors in Honduras. You know what nation he's from? He's Honduran. He is Honduran. In fact, his father-in-law is the president of the organization. He married the president's daughter. How crazy is that? This is Edwin Zayala. I want you to meet him. Actualmente tengo 25 estudiantes. Uh, currently I have 25 students. Y cuando yo pienso en una clase, no pienso tanto en el impacto a la persona misma, sino el impacto a las iglesias que estoy haciendo. And when I'm teaching and a class, I don't look at just the impact that I'm having on these people, but I try to look beyond it of, of the impact that this is having at, at their congregation. Por ejemplo, cuando tengo estos 25 estudiantes, yo estoy pensando en 25 iglesias. So when I have these 25 students, I'm actually thinking about 25 churches. Y eso me mantiene ser, eh, dar lo máximo de mí. And so that motivates me to uh, just pursue excellence in this. Y a través de los años he visto el impacto que esto ha causado. And throughout the years, I've seen the impact of this. Por ejemplo, actualmente hay un estudiante que ya se graduó del Salvador, que él ahora está enseñando griego. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a student uh, of mine before uh, who is now graduated, and he was one of my Greek students, and now he's teaching Greek. Y eso está yendo fuera de Honduras. Él está ahora en El Salvador haciendo esto. And this is what he's doing. He's a, from El Salvador, and now he's doing it in El Salvador. Incluso lo hemos usado aquí en el seminario para cuando yo no puedo dar una clase en particular. In fact, uh, we've been able to use him to substitute me when I wasn't able to teach Greek. Entonces, el impacto que está causando el seminario es increíble. So the impact that seminary is creating is really incredible. Porque no solamente tiene que ver con los estudios que vienen, los estudiantes que vienen aquí, sino se amplía más, mucho más allá. It doesn't have to do just with the students that come here, but it goes beyond that. It goes to their churches. Y eso es lo que el Señor está haciendo aquí en el seminario en Meda, para eh, través de todas las clases que ofrecemos. And that's what the Lord is doing here at CEPE through all the classes that we offer. The building behind them is the brick and mortar for the school in Honduras. But did you hear what he said? He, what he didn't say there is that of his 25 students, they're from all over the countries of Central America and Cuba. He's teaching them, and he's thinking about their churches, because the people in their churches are the ones doing the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. He talked about the guy from Honduras, excuse me, from El Salvador. To get from El Salvador, which is a neighboring country, to the school in Honduras, 
is an eight-hour treacherous drive. You don't make that drive. So we raise up people in El Salvador. Well, guess what? El Salvador is going to be a future TMEI training center because the work in Honduras is affecting their neighboring country in such a way that now they can train their own people. In fact, they're doing it now. So that is Edwin Zayala. So you say, where are your current schools? So right now, I'm trying to stay out of your way and see the slide also. Uh, you can see our, our schools in Europe. So right at the top there is Albania, then Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Italy, Russia, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Ukraine, and USA Russian. Ukraine was our first school uh, back in 1992 uh, after the Berlin Wall came down. Uh, the Ukrainians invited Pastor John MacArthur to come over and help them because they're just coming out of communism. And they wanted training quickly and good, sound theological uh, uh, education and preaching. And they kept asking him to come over. Well, he's got his own congregation, right? So he says, you know what? I'm a president of a seminary. How about if we find out if we can get some guys to come over and, and serve? So uh, Greg White, right, and Bruce Alvord, and their wives moved over there over 30 years ago. And 30 years later, in the country of Ukraine, they've trained over 900 expositors. Where are those guys now? Some of them are serving the military, and they're presenting Christ to soldiers who might die any minute. Some of them have been forced to flee the country, so they're in Poland preaching the gospel. They're all over the country. The Lord has moved them out. That's why we're excited. Russia... In the United States, in the state of Washington, we have a school there that only teaches in Russian and Ukrainian because there's a massive Russian-speaking population there, and the church there is Russian. But we have a school there that does Russian and Ukrainian training all over the world, but right there, brick and mortar at their school. We're in India. Go back. We're in India, Philippines. Philippines reaches out throughout Southeast Asia and into Indonesia. As I said, we're in Japan. We call it Iberio-America, just to kind of, we're talking about Spain and Spanish speaking. So Argentina, Honduras, Mexico, Africa, right now Malawi, South Africa, we're expanding throughout the African country, uh, multiple uh, countries in the Middle East. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's go to the next slide. We're expanding future schools. Uh, Ecuador, Cali, Colombia. We just uh, met with one of our guys in Cali, Colombia, and we're bringing them on board here shortly be a team training center, Fortaleza, Brazil, uh, Santiago, Chile, a lot of work going on there, Madagascar, Antananarivo, Madagascar. Uh, our leadership team met with Fali Ravangi, uh, has a MDiv from the Master Seminary and a Doctor of Ministry. He has started a new school there, and it will be one of our next training centers to teach Malagasy's how to preach God's Word. We're going to teach them in, in Malagasy, they're going to teach them in French and in English. Three languages right there in their own neighborhood. Okay. Sarah Leon, uh, go back one more. Uh, Yangon, Myanmar will be our next one. That's 98% uh, uh, Buddhist. So they'll start up next year. They've been there for 10 years, but they'll be a, an official team at a training center. I wish I had time to talk about Jakarta. Uh, a lot going on in Jakarta, the largest Muslim nation in the world. And yet they've come to us, and they have 15 Christian universities where we're going to teach expository preaching there to reach their culture. All right, so London, uh, Poland, Scandinavia, these are all, when I say future, this is within the next five years, two of them uh, during 2023. All right, next one. So global impact. As I said, we have 18 training centers, brick and mortar. That means we are there uh, in the building, if you will. But we have 80 teaching sites, and I'll demonstrate a little bit more of that in just a moment. How do we do 80 teaching sites through 80 schools? 72 undergraduates serving in 80 nations. 2,200 current students that are getting a, an education, um, in most cases like your pastor got and like I got, in expository preaching. Uh, 130 books in translation and progress. Translation is really important. If your pastor doesn't have a library, it's like a mechanic not having any tools, but all the knowledge can't fix a thing. So we need good books. We're teaching them how to write uh, theological material in their own language, but we're also translating many good books from English and some of the, the world's languages into their language. I wish I had more time to talk about that. Thousands of church leaders come to our conferences every year, and out of those conferences all over the world, uh, that's where our students come from. They say, I want that. 
And the that that they want is to be a godly servant of Christ who knows how to rightly divide the word of truth and equip the saints and their churches to do the work of the ministry. 73% of our faculty are indigenous, meaning they're from their own country. Again, I said we don't want to build an American church overseas. We want the indigenous people uh, building a church, letting Christ, well, Christ builds the church, but they're doing it biblically. And so that's why we want indigenous people like Sammy leading a church. 38 languages spoken by our student body. You go back to those 11 disciples, how are we going to do this? We don't know all the languages of the world. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You get what I'm saying? These guys are speaking God's word and their own languages all over the world and doing what your pastor does faithfully week in and week out. Well, TMEI relies on your prayer support. We, we rely on your financial support, but your prayer support is significant. In fact, uh, once a year in July, we, think, we do a thing called, well, it's a prayer week. And we ask our people to send us prayer requests because we send them out to our schools all over the world and they're praying for you. But then we also ask you to pray for them. So prayer is important. Financial giving is important, of course. Next slide. This slide tells you where our social media is. You can look us up. We're out there. Uh, it also tells me that I need to remember if there's any live streaming on or any recording going on, we need to stop now because we're going to talk about some dangerous places in the world. How do we reach the world with the gospel? So if you would, if you're recording, please don't record from here on out. How can you help us? Well, we call it the three eyes. Uh, intercede. You know, prayer is so important. Pray for us. Pray for our students. Pray for our, our professors around the world. Uh, introducing us, just like we're doing here. We're, we're being introduced to you. If I were to ask you to raise your hand and fill 30 seconds and tell us everything you know about TMEI, i, I got a feeling everybody in this room could do that. So introduce us to people. Tell them who we are. We, we can't be the world's best-kept secret in global missions. And, of course, invest. What, how, how would we do this without the Lord's body coming together and answering the question, how do 11 people reach the world? They reach it because Jesus is with us till the end of the age. And we're all a part of the same team, and so we work together. And so uh, our prayer is that you would do these three things with us. Uh, next slide. Ah, do we have time for questions, Pastor? Am I way over? I could be. So you want to know that these schools are tied into a, a biblical church, right? Sure. Yeah, great question. So for all of our schools, in order to become a qualified TMA training center, uh, they have to have two model churches in those areas. How do you define model? It'd be the church that you would like to attend. A church like yours, right? Um, those who are modeling expository preaching, they're going to be known by elder leadership, not just one guy that calls all the shots, but a New Testament leadership model that says uh, godly elders rely on the Lord to help lead that body of believers, and a number of other things that would qualify as a model church. So we want our students to be able to come to a school where if they're coming from a distance, they can uh, assimilate into a church that gives them immediate access to what it's like to have a biblical model of church.